everyone. I'm Brian Carrington, and you're listening to Call Talk for July 15th, 2015. And today's topic is all about surveys, 15 tips to optimize yours from literally the man who wrote the book. Now, if you're listening live, I'd like to be a part of the show, and you can ask questions. There's two ways you can do it. You can either email me directly at brian at benchmarkportal.com, and that's spelled out B-R-I-A-N at benchmarkportal.com, probably the most common way to get questions in. Or if you're feeling brave today, you can also call in on your phone. The number to do that is 347-857-3117. Make sure to press the 1 on your phone to let me know that you have a question, and I'll get you in. Also, I want to remind you that all of our shows are archived and available to listen to at any time you would like. You can find them at BenchmarkPortal.com. So, now I'd like to introduce the host of Call Talk, Bruce Belfiore. Thank you, Brian, and welcome back to Call Talk, everyone, on this fine July day. And today's topic is, as Brian mentioned, Survey Tips and Tricks, The Fast 15. And joining me and Brian today is our colleague, Amy Novak, who will help me grill our guest like a midsummer hamburger. How are you doing today, Amy? <laughs> Barbecue. Hey, that sounds pretty good, Bruce. I'm, I'm doing well, actually, now that you got my mind going elsewhere. <laughs> okay, good, yeah. Barbecued Benicom. Let's see. Okay, well, we, yeah. we have an expert. <laughs> We have an expert for all of you, uh, Dr. Fred Van Benicom, who was our guest expert, as many of you will remember, for Call Talk episodes on Net Promoter Score and Customer Effort Score in 2014. And both of those episodes, which you can access in our Call Talk archives, were, uh, to say the least, mildly explosive in that uh, Fred critiqued the research basis for using these metrics to improve customer loyalty. So he was really taking shots at some of today's uh, sacred cows. So since we are within earshot of the 4th of July, I thought we'd get Fred back for some more fireworks. How are you doing today, Fred? I'm fine, but maybe, uh, you know, not only are we a couple of 10 days away from the 4th of July, we're also only a day after Bastille Day where there were some fireworks as well. So maybe even more appropriate. Okay, yeah, we can storm a couple of prisons or something, right? Exactly. (laughs) You can call me Rose Pierre right now. (laughs) Okay, good. Well, yeah, Fred can mix up some more Molotov cocktails uh, for us. And, uh, you know, your critique of – what's that? Wrong war. Wrong war. (laughs) That's true. We got to keep our wars straight, darn it. So, anyway – but anyway, you know, your critique of NPS and uh, customer effort score were, were, were really powerful calls to thought for call center managers. So an appeal to go beyond the platitudes and figuring out what, what's really important for your center and not just what the buzz is about. So let me give everybody a quick refresher on uh, the good professor's background. Uh, Fred's the author of Customer Surveying, a Guidebook for Service Managers. Uh, he's the head of the company Great Brook and teaches operations management in Northeastern University's Executive MBA program in Boston, as I'm sure you'll understand from his accent. But uh, before earning his doctorate, he served as an information systems consultant for Digital Equipment's field service organization. And Fred advises clients on their survey practices and conducts workshops on surveying. And I'll have more information on his September course at the end of the show. So, uh, Fred, in, in line with his uh, shake-things-up approach, suggested a, a different format for today's call talk, uh, 
which is a rapid fire fast 15 of surveys instead of just a you know sort of back and forth question and answer approach so uh we're we're up for it fred we're up for it uh amy and i are ready to dive in right with you on this so uh, are you ready uh, yeah, I'm on the starting line, ready, ready to get my buns on that grill you talked about. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, are we going to get his buns on the grill? Uh, <laughs> anyway, we'll keep with maybe a Boston Marathon theme here. It might be a little more uplifting. Um, anyway, okay, good. You have three items for the project management aspect of the survey methodology. So it's like one-fifth of your Fast 15. Uh, it's kind of the why are we here and what are we doing stage. So uh, tell us about that. You said to think about what you're trying to learn. Uh, dive into that for us, Fred. Yeah, yeah. First of all, I kind of organize organize these around the the typical linear flow that you go through in executing a service a survey project. So we're starting out at the front end, the project management. And so I start. My first one was think about what you're trying to learn. Develop a statement of research objectives. Because most people, when they start a, a survey project, what they do is they start by writing questions, which is actually not the right thing to do. You're putting the, the horse before the cart or the cart before the horse. I think I got that backwards. Um, we really need to be stepping back and saying, what is it that we're trying to understand from this survey research project? And when you've done that, now you're in a much better position to move forward and say, okay, I know what I'm trying to understand. How do I de design a survey instrument and write survey questions that are going to generate data to measure what I want to learn? So it's basically saying let's take a linear, logical flow towards our survey project. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's great. Uh, it's sort of like uh, getting a corporate mission statement or a call center mission statement and then uh, be able to judge the decisions you have to make and uh, the uh, things you're going to do against that. So really, you need your objectives first or you can find yourself lost along the way. Well, that's great. And, and then next you've got line up your ducks. Tell us about uh, the ducks and hopefully they don't all get shot. But go, go ahead. <laughs> They'd have to go on the grill then, I guess, to hell with the hamburger. <laughs> Um, That's right. Yeah, I mean, the point here is that if you're starting out a project, make sure that you've got your resources that you need for the survey program. This is if you're launching one. Obviously not if you have one ongoing, but if you're launching a program, you need to be sure that you have the budgetary resources you need and perhaps more importantly, the personnel resources. What people do you need to have on your project team? And you'll notice I said project team. You should not be doing a survey project by yourself, by your lonesome, you really need to have multiple people involved, especially for the review of the survey instrument, but a project team can be useful in other aspects of the survey program. So make sure you get your personnel resources, make sure you have the budgetary resources needed, regardless of the execution method. You need some budget for this. And then I also said sponsorship. I, I've seen a lot of people that um, are doing a survey project uh, from a, a bottom-up, grassroots level, but they don't have senior sponsorship in the organization. And that's kind of a recipe for the thing dying, because unless you've got somebody up high who's going to fight the political battles, it's, you're likely to have the project just die because it doesn't have proper sponsorship. That's, that's so important, and uh, really it also can tie in with your point number one, which is making sure your objectives are there, because 
it, getting the sponsorship means you're talking to your senior folks, right? And so you're getting their buy-in on it. And you may end up refining your objectives, okay, because of the input that you get from them. And that's fine. Uh, but once they realize that uh, their objectives are going to be reached through your project, then you're going to have the sponsorship you need, right? Correct. Yep. Okay, well, good. My thought process here, and I'm hoping I don't take us down a completely different path, but I may, because as I was looking through some of these points under the project management that you uh, provided, Fred, the next one coming up, my mind must have went adrift because what came to mind was Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. <laughs> and the point was <laughs> motivate, motivate, motivate. So I was hoping you could share with us a little bit more in terms of motivating and who that would be to motivate. Yes, well, the the point in my Marsha, Marsha, Marsha one, which is kind of <laughs> the opposite of it because that demonstrated a certain degree of boredom, I guess. Oh, Marsha, 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 is that we want <laughs> – one of the challenges that every surveyor faces these days is getting a good response rate. And there's no silver bullet to getting a good response rate, and it's getting tougher and tougher to get a reasonable one. So when you're as you're going through the entire program, especially in the questionnaire design phase and the survey administration phase, you want to be asking yourself, am I motivating my respondent, my target audience, to move forward through the surveying process, or am I turning them off? So always have in the back of your mind, am I motivating them to move forward and give us good, accurate, legitimate data? And that is a very interesting way of thinking about that, knowing we have encountered personally as well as professionally hearing individuals that are on survey overload. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, in fact, I'll give you an example. I just got, and this is a legitimate example from my town, I got an, uh, an email invitation to take a survey having to do about uh, well management. And I mean well as in water wells, because my town, all of us are on private wells. And it's from a, a startup company that's basically going to try to sell well monitoring services to residents in town. And the introduction, the email invitation talked about how they're working with the, the state and local boards of health, blah, 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 blah. But there was no statement of anonymity, no guarantee of confidentiality. And the survey was not anonymous. I could tell from the, from the website address that came up when I went to start the survey. So right away, they did things that killed my motivation to go on because I'm not going to tell them what I'm doing with my well if there's a fear that the information I provide them might wind up being shared with my local board of health. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, okay, you know, you no, gotta think through what you're doing, and it might be really stupid what you're doing. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> okay, that's not, not pulling any punches there. Well, you know, well, when you were saying Marsha, 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 and I was thinking of the grilling, you know, I was thinking marshmallow, marshmallow, marshmallow. But anyway... <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, getting on to s'mores. Oh, s'mores, I knew you were going there, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we, we can go on to the questionnaire design. So, uh, you have here, talk to the people, do some field research for attribute identification. Tell us about that one, Fred. Yeah, and I'm trying to work in a graham cracker link in here next. But uh, when I'm saying talk to the people, do some field research. When you're writing the survey instrument, writing the survey questions, 
uh, most people are going to develop, write the questions by sitting with the project team in some type of a brainstorming session, and somebody's going to sit at their desk and, and write questions, and that's fine. That's going to be the bulk of the questions that are going to be on the survey, and that's a legitimate process. But do you really know all of the things? We're doing the survey in order to understand what's of concern to our customers. Do you really understand what's of concern to your customers, or do you think you really understand? Those are different. So the proper way to do a survey, any kind of a research project, but including a survey research project, is to actually do some field research. Go and talk to your customer base, a certain number of them, one-on-one -on -one interviews or focus groups, and get input from them about what is it that's of concern to them. What do they like? What do they not like about the service you're delivering? And that's what we call attribute identification. What are the attributes or characteristics of their service experiences that are either positives or negatives? And when we get that kind of feedback from our customer base, that we'll look at that and say, hmm, Maybe, there, maybe we should be asking a question about this on the survey that goes to everyone. So mm. my, my point is that if you simply stick with internal brainstorming, you may miss some critical things that are of concern to your customer base because you're operating with blinders on. Yeah, and one of the things that we found, too, uh, is that you can, you know, uh, also understand more about your customer segmentation if you go through that kind of exercise, don't you think? Hmm. Yeah, I guess that that's probably true. And, in fact, when you're doing this kind of research, you probably want to – um, you want to think about whether whether or not you've got distinctly distant, different customer groups and maybe you need to tailor the survey differently depending on the customer group. Right, right, okay. The next one you've got here is uh, keep it short. Tell us about that one. Well, that one is, sort of speaks for itself, and I purposely kept it short to reinforce the point. Uh, and this gets to the Marsha, Marsha, Marsha motivation <laughs> issue. How do you get people not just to start the survey but complete it? And, you know, getting them to start it is, has to do a lot with the invitation and the introductory screens. Helping make sure they go all the way through it is by keeping the survey really on target and making sure that it's not too long. We tend to make the mistake as survey designers, many people, of thinking our respondents will give them, you know, an hour and a half. I'm exaggerating there, but we'll go through a really long survey. And the fact is most of us are too pressed for time uh, and of interest to do a survey that's more than just, you know, a couple of screens long especially if we're talking about a call center transactional survey, that should be quite short. You know, if you go more than 10 questions, boy, you better really justify why you're getting that long. So short and sweet makes a lot of sense in our world to try to get a decent response rate. Looking at and just keeping with the theme of things, throwing another one in, the next uh, tip and trip, uh, trick that you have, Fred, listed is organized into topical sections, and the first thing that came to mind, tropical, so we've got to get our shrimp on the barbie, but I was <laughs> hoping you could explain a little bit more as it relates to organizing into topical, not the tropical sections. Well, we want to keep all the tropical people in the tropics, uh, but <laughs> I mean, just playing on that, but the idea, uh, pardon me, I'm from Boston, i got to say it right, the idea here is that... <laughs> 
we should try to organize the survey in topical sections. So if you've, in a call center survey, it might be, if you think about the nature of the way the respond, the customer encounters your services. They, you know, first they call up, then they interact with rep number one, they may interact with rep number two, then they go to resolution. So you would try to organize the survey in the basic way that the respondent encounters you, and maybe, and ideally, you want to organize the survey along topics. So maybe it's about you have a topic on accessibility issues. Then you have a topical area around agent. Then maybe it's about the knowledge base. Whatever the topics are for the survey, uh, ideally, if you organize them in topical sections, you can then have, assuming it's a web form survey, one web screen per topic. Uh, so you can have, uh, and the advantage of that is we're keeping, we're doing what we're doing is, is setting the respondent's mental frame, which means we're telling the respondent, think about this topic, and now you're asking them questions about that topic. So you're keeping them focused. And when they complete the questions about that topic, they get a sense of accomplishment, they click next, they're on to the next screen, the next topic. Uh, so just think of it this way. You could have a 30-question survey, which sounds awfully long. A 30-question mm -hmm. survey all on one screen is going to feel a lot longer than, say, uh, a survey with six sections with five questions each. Okay, great. Perspective, yeah. yeah. We're going to have to. Yeah, this is great. We're going to probably have to pick up the pace a little bit to get all 15 in. So we'll go on to the next one. It's it's how you write it. Tell us about that uh, briefly. Fred. Yeah, I, you know, I, I also said in there, look for multiple interpretations. The single most important thing regarding question writing is that every respondent should interpret every question the same way. Now, that's the gold standard, the 100% purity standard. It's impossible to reach that, quite honestly, because there's always going to be somebody for some reason because of their life experiences that they're going to misinterpret a question. But the goal is for that to be really the exception and not the rule. So when we're writing our questions, we want to write them very clearly and coherently, avoiding jargon, avoiding ambiguous language so that every respondent is thinking about the same thing when they read the question. Goodness, this is like speed dating. We're going to go to the next one just in the form of trying to accomplish, speaking about all these tips and tricks you have, you have so much great information you're sharing with us, Fred. The next item you had was, you know, data isn't all created equal, so knowing about your data types, can you explain a little bit more about that? Yeah, this will be a challenge. You know, I'm looking at my timer. I, I, if I can do this in two minutes, I'll be impressed with myself. Um, the data aren't data. Uh, there are different. There are actually four different types of data, and I may be bringing up some bad memories from a statistics class for the listeners here. Uh, there are four different types of data: uh, nominal or categorical, ordinal, interval, and ratio. These are different types of data. They have different data properties. And the key point is the analysis that we can do of the data differs based upon the data type. So very quickly, a when we ask just a checklist question, please check which of the following applies, that's nominal or categorical data. The only analysis we can do is the percentage of respondents who checked each item. 
ordinal data is where the, the, the items have some order to them. So we may be asking the respondent, where do you fit in this continuum? The beauty of ordinal data questions is we can do cumulative frequency distributions. The percentage of respondents that check the box is up to some point or down to some point. It's a more powerful interpretation. Interval data is where the data have what we call interval properties, meaning that there's a consistent unit of measurement applied across the different options on the scale. So when we use 1 to 5 or 1 to 10 scales, ideally we want those questions written so that we are generating truly interval data, meaning that the distance, the cognitive distance for the respondents between a 1 and a 2 is the same as the distance from a 2 to a 3 and a 3 to a 4 and a 4 to a 5, etc. The reason why that's important is when we have interval properties, we can then take the arithmetic mean. We can take averages. You can't take an average of ordinal data. You can of interval data. The final data type is ratio data, and that's where we have a true zero on a scale. That's when we're measuring typically some physical quantity, uh, such as head count or time. We typically don't have a lot of questions about those in our surveys, uh, but th my point in this overall is to recognize that the, t the way you write the question may affect the type of analysis that you can do with the data that you get back. Okay, great. Well, so we've gone through the project management, the setup, if you will, and you've given us really good tips on questionnaire design. And so now we go into the survey administration or the fielding of the survey. And uh, for that, we've got three points. And why don't we put them together and let you talk about them uh, all together. There's targeting the right people, targeting the right people the right way to avoid sample bias, and knowing the math of statistical accuracy. All right. So this time I get six minutes for all three. All right. I've got to reset my timer here to six. All right. So first, targeting the right people. That basically means who is the audience for your survey research? In many cases, it's really simple. It's our customers. But in many cases, it's more complicated than that. And I have had hour-long, two-hour-long discussions with clients when we're at that point of saying, all right, Who's on the invitation list? Is it all of the customers? Is it the more recent customers, customers with a certain annual volume level, the customers who have called the call center in the last month or last week? Who is it? So we really have to make sure we know who is the proper target for the research. And many times in surveys that I do with clients in the customer support area, we may actually do two different survey instruments, basically conduct different surveys of different people in the customer organization. That's if we're doing a, a B2B, a business-to-business -business survey. We may survey the person who owns the relationship, but then also survey the person who is the day-to-day -day contact. Those are different people in the target uh, audience company. So you, you've got to step back and ask, who should we be surveying? Many times it's simple, many times it's not. So you want me to dive into the next one, huh? That one only took, uh, I had 40 seconds left over, so I'm going to apply that to the next one. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing great. You're doing great. Keep on going. It's a zero-sum game here. So target the right, no our... the right way. That mean, And what I mean here is avoiding sample bias. Ideally, when we survey our audience, we want to be sure that we're not doing something that leads us to get 
the people who actually take the survey to not be representative of the people as a whole. So is there something we're doing that means that we're not getting uh, a, a, the proper representative mix of people taking the survey? And that's what we mean by a sample bias. Uh, maybe we're surveying right before some some holiday, some ethnic holiday, and we're not aware of it, which means you wouldn't get in, uh, people who belong to some religious group uh, taking the survey. Um, you know, who knows what it is, but we want to step back and ask ourselves, am I introducing some type of a bias from the way I've done it? I, I, I talked with somebody who worked in the help desk for a university, and they were doing a survey of faculty members, administrative people, and students. And because the project got delayed, they wound up sending out the survey invitations uh, like right after finals week. Well, at that point, I can tell you as a university professor, uh, right after finals week, I'm more focused on getting my grades done. So uh, the last thing I'm going to do is take a survey. However well-intentioned, I'm not going to be taking the survey. So depending upon the timing, in that kind of a situation would could dramatically affect who would take the survey. So basically, you know, step back and ask yourself that question. Is there anything I'm doing that's going to lead to what we call a sample or selection bias? And I can give you tons of examples of these, uh, but I only have seven seconds left. <laughs> you have done very well, Fred, with summarizing those points for the survey administration within the time that you have allotted yourself. Well, now I got the tough so. one, though. Know the math of statistical accuracy. And this one I can't really do simply on uh, on a telephone without the aid of some type of a chart that I use in my workshops, in fact. And I actually have a website, an article on my website that talks to statistical confidence. So if you if you'd ran a search on statistical confidence, greatbrook.com, you'd get to that article. Um, the key point here is to recognize that as the as your sample size gets smaller, the number of people who actually complete the survey gets smaller, your statistical accuracy is pretty darn poor. Um, the more responses you get, the higher the accuracy, and there's kind of an inflection point. If you just get a small handful of responses, you have very poor statistical accuracy. And I raise this in particular because we're talking, the audience here is primarily call center people. And a lot of people use surveys to measure the performance of service of their representatives, their agents. And I've seen call centers that are trying to use in performance appraisals five or ten completed surveys per agent. And I can tell you over the course of, say, a month or a quarter, and this is because of the cost of doing the surveys, and I can tell you the statistical accuracy of five or ten completed surveys per agent is really poor. It may be an indicator, but, boy, I would never want to use those few data points to engage in uh, performance action for an employee. Maybe an indication that maybe some training is needed, but I wouldn't want to put the person on notice based upon a very few data points. And mm. I've seen okay. that done. Okay, great. Uh, yeah, I can see that very, very clearly. Okay, so the last uh, group of questions are analysis and reporting, and we'll have to sort of knock those down to maybe a minute each. So the first one is uh, fight the fires immediately. Tell us about that. Well, if you're, when you send out the survey, you're going to get responses, we hope. Uh, some of those responses are going to be people that are saying they're screaming for help. 
So that's the fire. So you need to fight the fire, you know, look at the responses as they come in. If you have some response coming in where somebody is mad as hell, you need to call them back immediately. Not a day later, not three days later, but as quickly as possible because you're just throwing fuel on that charcoal grill. Um, so that's my point there. Fight that fire right away. Mm-hmm. And how about the slice and dice? Look for interesting findings among subgroups. Well, this kind of plays into something you said earlier, Bruce, which is that in most of our surveys, we have subcategories of customers. And what we really want to do is look at what are the different groups of customers and saying, do we see something interesting? For example, I had somebody in a class once who worked for a bank, uh, and when they looked at customer satisfaction by length of time as a customer, there was a decided drop-off in satisfaction levels for customers of five years or more which isn't really a good thing for long-term customers to be less happy, I'll suggest. So slice mm. the data. If you find out that there is something weird going on with a particular customer subgroup from when you slice the data. Mm. Excellent. Okay. And then I love the next one, explain the impact. Well, yeah, this this is the toughest one of all. When you do the survey, you get the data back, you hand it off to the numbers guy in your group who loves to live in, in spreadsheets. They're going to crunch some numbers and come up with stuff. But just presenting the numbers to your management team is going to get a big uh, yawn, 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 you know, the Marsha, Marsha, Marsha type of response. What does it mean to the business? What are we seeing? Mm -hmm. What does this mean? What's the impact of the survey findings towards the way we operate? What mm -hmm. what do we focus on? And, and explaining it to yourself is the first step, isn't it? Because you can't explain it to others really well until you've really internalized it uh, yourself. And, and that's the uh, challenging but also the fun part of a lot of research. Uh, and that feeds right into the last one, close the loop. Tell them, them what you've learned and, and motivate. So uh, tell us about that one. Yeah, and this gets back to the first one in the project management about motivating. You know, in a call center environment, we typically have ongoing survey programs where we're surveying our customer audience on a repeated basis. Well, one of the going to we don't want we don't want to encourage survey burnout or survey fatigue. We want them to want to take the survey every time we ask them to take it. Now, they're not going to take it every time, but we don't want them to only take it when they have an ax to grind, which is an example of a sample bias. So part of the way we motivate the respondent group to know that this is of value is to close the loop with our respondent group. Tell them what you've learned at a high level from the survey and what action you're taking. So this is closing the loop with the customer base. Maybe it's in a quarterly newsletter. Maybe it's something on the website. Who knows what the – I don't know what the communication method you have, but tell them at a high level what you've learned and the action that you've taken based on the survey program findings, and they're more likely to approach the survey the next time recognizing it is a valuable instrument for feedback. Uh, there you go. Building credibility. That's That's really key. Yeah. Okay, well, you, uh, these have been great 15, uh, fast 15 tricks and tips. Really uh, very, very meaty. We've, we've really uh, gone through them uh, in detail, but also quickly. I think we've got time for one question. Uh, do you have one there, Brian? Yeah, I sure do. This one comes from Miriam emailing in to me, and uh, the question is this. We're looking to revise our survey. What happens to our trend data? Mm, uh, great question. 
<laughs> this is the uh, one of the real problems when you're doing a survey program and you're just kind of thrown it together and then you get serious is that there's always some managers that have that trend chart in their office and they're trending what's happening. And when you change the instrument, especially if it's a major revision to question wording, survey questionnaire organization, you are starting, you need to start your trend line over. If it's a minor tweak to a question, maybe not a problem, but you should always note in your trend line chart that you made a change here in question number four or whatever it is. But if you've done a total revamp, you're starting your trend lines over. And I can tell you from personal experience, I have seen survey program revisions get killed by senior management because they didn't want to start their trend line over. Mm, okay. Great, great answer to a thorny question there. Thank you, Fred. And, and really, thanks for another great episode. Uh, I'd like to tell our listeners that if you'd like to attend uh, Professor Van Bennekom's workshop on survey design and analysis in Washington, D.C. in September 2015, uh, just go to the Benchmark Portal website and click on Call Center Training. You'll see Fred's workshop at the bottom of the list. Uh, he has taught this course, just so you know, all over the world, in Europe, South Africa, Singapore, uh, even Boston. Uh, and, uh, you know, this is a course that's really won accolades everywhere. That's why it keeps on going. So you, you'll definitely go home with insights you need to make your survey program really great. So with that, I'd like to uh, thank uh, Fred for being with us and Amy for being with us. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Great. And uh, we're unfortunately out of time. I'd love to keep going on this, but uh, I'll turn things back to Brian Carrington for the closing ceremonies. All right. Well, thanks again to Fred, Bruce, and Amy for serving up a delicious 15-course meal on survey creation, delivery, and analysis. Hopefully, you now have a full belly of ideas on how to properly cook up your next survey and make it a super-sized success. <laughs> so be sure, of course, to join us next month for another great show or check out our huge selection of archived shows and topics at BenchmarkPortal.com. Then click on Call Talk, where you'll find over five seasons of our show. So, of course, from all of us here at Benchmark Portal, keep those headsets steady and your fingers ready. This is Brian Carrington signing out. Have a great day. That's a wrap. Take care.